All right, so let's read the passage together. This is John 14. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 15 through the end of the chapter, through verse 31. And these are the words of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you that I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And I will, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. These are the words of the Lord. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we come before you and thank you that you have, that you have made yourself known to us. Uh, your word says that you reveal yourself not only uh, in creation, but also through the scriptures that uh, are inspired by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I ask now, as we study your word, that you would continue to make yourself known to us, that you would continue to to help us deepen our relationship with you, and that you would draw us into a close communion with you. And we ask these things uh, through Christ our Lord. Amen. On uh, May 4th, 2019, in the morning, uh, I got married, and uh, it was probably the most exciting day of my life. Um, I got married to my wife, Lindsay, whom some of you guys haven't met yet. She'll be here next week, Um, but I was so excited on that day because I got to marry my best friend, Um, and... Fun fact, I'm the only one who cried during the vows. 
uh, in front of a whole host of people. I'm sitting there trying to like say these vows and I'm like, you know, uh, tearing up and, and looking like a, a, a fool. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was this amazing moment. And the reason that I bring that up is because that commitment on that day has only led to a deeper friendship and a deeper relationship with my wife, Lindsay. That uh, covenant together has really bonded us together and has brought a, a unity and a kind of a, a depth of knowledge of her and her of me that would not have been possible if we had not made that type of commitment. Now, the reason that I bring that up is because in this passage, Jesus actually uses uh, covenantal language. If you look with me um, at verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you see throughout this passage, there's this, um, there's these words that are used, uh, words like keep my word, keep my commandments, obey, different things like that. These are covenantal terms. These are uh, words that indicate that Jesus is talking about a type of close covenantal relationship, a close uh, friendship, if you will. Um, And so what's interesting about this um, is the fact that as Jesus is is saying this, um, he's revealing what's on his heart, right? We've talked about how in chapters 13 through 17, this is, this is kind of the heart of Jesus. That's kind of one of the big things that we're seeing from this is this section of scripture records five hours and these are some of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he would uh, be betrayed by Judas and then uh, after that have all these different Uh, legal trials, and then be crucified. So these are some of the very last things that are on Jesus' mind and heart as he's he's speaking with these disciples. And so he's using these these covenantal words and kind of this covenantal language. And so when I say that, though, uh, covenant is not a typical word that we use in our in our vocabulary nowadays. Um, so it might be helpful for me to kind of give you an idea of what a covenant is. Um, a covenant, uh, as defined by R.C. Sproul in one of his books, is it is a formal agreement between two or more parties. Um, he goes on in that, same, in that same paragraph to say that a covenant provides the context within which God reveals himself, ministers to us, and acts to redeem us. And so all of that kind of ties back to this idea of commitment leads to a deeper communion. Commitment to God leads to this deeper communion. Um, or another way to say that is that devotion to God leads to deeper communion. Um, and in this passage, we actually kind of 
learn some things that not your, your average Joe does not know. Um, you see, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So I worked at Safeway. Uh, for for a season, and uh, I had this coworker who kind of was telling me this story about how they were going through a really rough time, and they cried out to God, and they didn't feel God respond to them. They didn't feel like God uh, was there, um, and so I explained to this coworker the reason that you are not experiencing God in this moment is because you have not committed your life to Him. You see, God reveals himself as we are in relationship with him. Just as uh, Lindsay uh, has revealed more about her personality, her likes and dislikes in a committed relationship with me, and she knows all of my likes and dislikes and my weird quirks and and all of that, but those things are revealed through through a, a a close, committed relationship, okay? And that's the type of relationship that Jesus is articulating in this passage when he uses these type of words of commandment, uh, word, obey, all these type of things. He is actually talking about the type of relationship that the disciples have with God. And in fact, in this passage, we actually see in verse, let's see here. I think... See if I can find it. Just a sec here. There we go. Look with me at verse uh, 21 and 22, where he says, And he who loves me will be loved by by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Do you catch that? Kind of there's there's this contrast in this passage between what we as followers of Jesus know about God and what the world, those who are not in a close relationship with Jesus, what they don't know about God. Does that make sense? So people who are in relationship with Christ, who are committed, who have given their lives to Christ, automatically know God better. Does that make sense? Um, Not only through some, uh, you know, secret hidden knowledge. It's not, it's not like that. It's that, that as we come into a relationship with God, we come to realize that God has given us his word, which is one of the primary ways that we get to know him more. And so in this passage, we'll actually see three different things that you and I get to discover as disciples of God. First, the first thing that we, uh, that we will discover is the nature of God. And then the second thing that we, that we get to learn a little bit more about in this passage is the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing that we get to discover a little bit more about is the role of the disciple. So the nature of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, and the role of the disciple. So look with me at verse... 15, verses 15 and 16. 
So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So you see, in this passage, we see all three persons of the Trinity. In fact, John 13 through 17 is one of the primary passages that we as Christians go to to learn about the Trinity. Um, And so I've actually put this little slide up here um, because talking about the Trinity can be really confusing. And to be honest, I mean, there was... Uh, in the early church, there was so much controversy around the doctrine of the Trinity and also around how people understood the two natures of Christ, that he is truly God and truly man. Um, And so this symbol here has kind of historically been one um, that the church uses to kind of help us understand the relationship between the persons of the Godhead. And so you can see on here it says that the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. But you see how it says that each of them is God. And so you have three distinct persons, but one God, one being. So another a simple way to say that is God is one in being and three in persons. And that's an important distinction to make because when you come and and you talk with people who who are not Christians, they will say that uh, believing in the Trinity is a contradiction because you're saying it's one and three at the same time, which actually is like, um, I forget what law of logic that is, but you cannot, basically something cannot be A and not A at the same time. Does that make sense? So... We as Christians, we don't say God is one and God is, is three in the same sense. So we're saying that God is one in being and three in persons. I say that, I'm asking, does that make sense? And it seems kind of like a silly question because it's, it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But this is just how God has revealed himself to us. And we have to admit that our, our minds can't necessarily grasp it, but it's revealed to us in his word, and so we believe it. Um, another, another way that might help us grasp this idea of God is the triune God, um, but three, three persons, one being. Um, I, I don't know if this is the best illustration, but it's the only one that I could think of. Um, so if it's, uh, if it's a bad illustration, I'm sure Aaron will let me know later. Um, but uh, think about an egg. Okay. So an egg has three elements to it, but it is one egg. You have the shell, you have the egg white, and you have the egg yolk. They are, there's these distinctions within the elements of that egg, but it is all one. That's kind of a, a helpful illustration or a way to, to think about it. Now, the reason that this is important for us as believers um, is, so for, I'll give you a little bit of kind of my, my story. When I first became a Christian, I really, really felt like Jesus loved me, but I didn't necessarily understand that God the Father loved me. I thought God the Father loved me because I'm 
uh, because I'm in a relationship with Jesus and, you know, that's the only reason that he loves me. Which, in some sense, it is true that the Father loves us because we are united to Jesus because of our faith. But if you think about this, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. Now, God in that passage is referring to God the Father because there's a distinction between the Father and the Son that is being made there. So God the Father sent God the Son because he so loved the world. And that is such an important thing because we need to know that each person of the Trinity loves us. Not only is each person of the Trinity equally God and one in being, but the Father sent, the Father chose you, the Son came to die for your sins, and the Holy Spirit came and caused you to believe the gospel. So each person of the Godhead is intimately involved in Jack's salvation. Have you ever thought about that? I think we can focus so much on one person of the Trinity, almost to the exclusion of each other. And it's such a beautiful picture of how God in each person loves us and is he desires to redeem us and to to have relationship with us so the first thing that we kind of see from this passage is we see the nature of god Um, and then the second thing that we see we learn a little bit more about the person of the holy spirit person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Look with me at verses 16 and 17. It says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so we've just kind of finished talking about the fact that there are three persons in the Godhead, right? And so Jesus now, one of the things that's on his mind is not only to explain to us a little bit about the nature of God, but he also wants to explain a little bit about the role of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that Jesus is explaining the role of the Holy Spirit is because he has been with them throughout, you know, the entirety of his ministry, right? He's been with these these now 11 dudes because Judas has already left the room and he's getting ready to go and betray Jesus. Um, but Jesus has been with them and now he knows that he's going to be leaving them, that he is going to be betrayed, that he's going to be crucified. And then he knows that he's going to go back to the Father. And so He doesn't want them to worry. He doesn't want them to feel like they are alone. And so he tells them, even though I'm going, another another helper is going to come. And that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the term helper is not actually, uh, it's not actually the most most accurate way of, of articulating this idea of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, so this 
some translations also will say comforter. Now, the older, uh, older English translations of the Bible, um, they use this word comforter. But nowadays, when we think comforter, one, we're either thinking a really soft blanket or we're thinking uh, like a, a good friend who you know, comes alongside you like when you're having a really hard time and they comfort you, right? Um, and some of, that, some of that nuance is actually true. But what the word comforter means in the, the old language, it comes from these two Latin words, which is it's cum forte. And forte is kind of the root word where we get our understanding uh, or our word like fortify, like fortification. And so it's, I, the idea is, is cum forte, it means with strength. It means with strength. And so the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is he is the one who strengthens us to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And Paul kind of talks about this a little bit in Galatians 5 when he says um, that the Holy Spirit, not only does he um, produce, uh, give us you know, strength, but he also produces in us fruit, which we'll talk about a little bit more next week when we get into John chapter 15. Um, but the Holy Spirit, he strengthens us. He gives us, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can't tell you. Uh, actually, I can tell you. I'll give you an, an illustration. Um, an illustration of the Holy Spirit being the strengthener in my life. I remember another time when I was at Safeway and uh, it was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had in my life, actually. Um, but this lady, uh, she must have been very afraid of germs, okay? And so she had put this, uh, this celery, you know, these celery stalks in like two bags, right? Like double layered. So I removed one of the layers, right, to like scan the little barcode. And then I, you know, sent it down and then um, my bagger was going was gonna to bag it up for me. And so I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden I see celery just fly past my face and it like goes and lands over there. And I was like, what just happened? And so she had picked it up and had hucked it like all the way back to the other end. And she was like, I am not eating that. I am not going to buy that. I can't believe you touched that. And I didn't actually touch it. I just touched the outer bag, but... All of that's an aside thing. Um, but I was so like frustrated in that moment. And I was so like angry. I was like, what kind of a crazy person just throws celery? Like that's the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, uh, but in that moment, I actually, I prayed. I said, Father, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't understand uh, she doesn't understand that she's being, you know, rude. And I can genuinely say that in that moment, I was actually supernaturally filled with peace and able to forgive this woman who had just thrown celery at me. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's just crazy how that happens because I tried it another time, right? I was like, I was like oh, forgive her. But inside I was just like, oh, you suck. Um, and so it's just... 
the Holy Spirit is, he is completely sovereign over when he produces that kind of fruit in our lives and, and when he doesn't, right? But his role is to give us strength, is to give us the ability to forgive, to give us the ability to have patience when people throw celery at us. Um, this is a silly example. Um, but that's, that's kind of the idea, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes with strength. And another, maybe another illustration that might be helpful um, is, so for those of you who are familiar with, with working out, do you guys know what a spotter is? You guys familiar? Okay. So when you're working out, you have a spotter, and sometimes, sometimes you see uh, these guys in the gym who they load up all this weight on there, and then, you know, they, they, they take it off, and then you see the spotter is actually really just, like, straining really hard, just pulling the weight up, and the person down below is really not doing, like, all that much, but they just wanted to look really cool and have a lot of weight on there. And so the spotter's like basically, you know, pulling the weight up and they're, you know, hardly doing anything. That's kind of an, a little bit of an illustration of what it's like. Like we put in some effort to do the Christian life, but the Holy Spirit is the one who does, who really does the effort. Like uh, another way of saying it is Paul says, um, I worked harder than anybody else. And yet it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. Or another way of saying it, it was the Holy Spirit in me working and giving me the, the will and the desire to do that which is pleasing in the sight of God. And so the Holy Spirit, he is the strengthener of God's people. And the reason that that's relevant for your life is because there's, there's two pitfalls that we can fall into as Christians. The first is thinking that you're all by yourself, is thinking that you're on your own and God has this impossible standard that you have to live up to and you can just feel so isolated. And it's like, how can I possibly live up to these expectations that God has for my life? So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is thinking that you have the ability in and of yourself to fulfill God's demands, to fulfill the the righteous requirements that God has for his people. So there's these two mistakes. And so what we need to understand is that we are not alone. We are not alone. God doesn't just say, be holy as I am holy. Now figure it out. He says, be holy as I am holy. And I'm giving you my Holy Spirit so that you can be strengthened so that he will produce the very Uh, character traits of Jesus in your life so that you can walk out this Christian life, so that you can be patient with the celery throwers. You can be patient with siblings. You can be patient uh, with, you know, parents. Oh, she's a celery thrower. Okay, that's good to know. (laughs) Uh, No, she is a no. No, I'm kind of a celery. So anyway, so all of that to say, So we are not left to our own devices when it comes to the Christian life. If you have committed your life to Christ, if if God, if Jesus is Lord of your life, you have been given the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans 8, it says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. 
That's crazy. So that type of power is now in us as believers in Jesus Christ, giving us the ability to live a life that is pleasing to God. So we, we cannot do the Christian life alone, and we should never think that we could. Uh, take, a, you know, take it from me. If you try and live the Christian life uh, in your own strength, you will find yourself very quickly becoming impatient and frustrated, lacking all of those fruits of the Spirit. We need help from God, and that help is the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, almost done. Um, so we've seen the, the nature of God. We've seen the person of the Holy Spirit. And now the last thing that we're going to talk about is the role of the disciple, the role of the disciple. So verses 15 and also verse 21, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now, right off the bat, the are at least I don't know if you're like me, the my eye is immediately drawn to the uh, if you love me, then you'll obey me, right? We very much so are we we uh, find our uh, our eyes drawn to I must do this so that God will love me. But that's not what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, do this so that God will love you. He says, if you love me, you will do this. So it's completely flipped. We think that doing is, is what merits God's love. But in reality, it's our love for God that makes us want to do that which is pleasing in God's sight. It's kind of like, um, if you think about it this way, um, let's say uh, I, got, uh, I got flowers for, for my wife, and uh, I, I came home and I said, here you go, babe, uh, I got these for you. And she's like, oh, thank you. You shouldn't have. Why did you do it? And I said, well, it's my duty. Like, she'd probably, like, throw them at me or something. That's not true. She's too nice to do that. Um, But that type of a response doesn't show a heart that loves, right? That doesn't really show love. Now, if I respond and say, I love you, I delight in you, and these flowers are a, a... illustration or a way of showing that love. That is obedience in the Christian life. That is what obeying Jesus is. It's our hearts are in love with Jesus. And so we offer a life of obedience because we love Jesus. We don't obey to make Jesus love us. Does that make sense? Or another way of thinking about it is if you think about a plant or you think, let's think about a, a fruit tree, okay? So the roots 
are the, the vehicle that brings the, the nutrients to the branches and to the rest of the, the body of the tree, and that produces fruit, right? So our love for Jesus is the roots, and obedience is the fruit. Does that make sense? It's not obedience produces love. It's love produces obedience. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we love God? Because if we look in our lives and we're seeing disobedience in a, in a uh, continual way and we're living in a way that we know uh, doesn't please God and it, and it doesn't hurt our hearts, if we're not broken over the fact that we, uh, over our sin and that we dishonor God, by our sin, we have to ask ourselves, do we really love God in the way that he deserves to be loved in that moment? Or are we loving ourselves? So we've talked about the, the idea that this, this close relationship with God, this, this devotion, this covenantal relationship with God it's through that close relationship that God reveals more of himself, right? And so he revealed in this passage, Jesus tells us he re- about the, the nature of God, that he is triune. He, he reveals uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. And then he also tells us a little bit more about our role in our relationship with God. But here's the truth, is that our obedience, our love for God, none of that would have been possible if Jesus did not come and die for our sins and rise again. Because what Jesus purchased when he died on the cross was not only forgiveness for my sin and for your sin, but he also purchased for us every good thing that we need to live out the Christian life. So even the faith that you exercise in Jesus is a gift from Jesus that he purchased with his blood. Even every, every uh, fruit of the Spirit, every Christian grace is all a gift from Jesus that, he, uh, that would not have been possible for us to possess if Christ had not first come and died for our sins and would not have been possible if the Holy Spirit had not awakened us to the reality that we need a Savior. In short, none of that would have been possible apart from the gospel, apart from the good news that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, and that he longs to have a relationship with you. So we're going to go into our small groups now. But uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for us first. Father, I just pray that you would bless uh, our small groups. Pray that you would uh, just be there with us. I pray that you would be uh, speaking to us, that you would be helping us to apply these truths. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.